Hello everybody. Today we have a very special guest. Ed, how are you doing, man? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, how are you? Thanks very much. Thanks for coming to our podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you with us. So, Ed, tell me about yourself. When did you start? When did the first sparkle of music lit up in your mind, and you thought? Okay, let's go. Let's let's do music. It's really hard to say. Um, I think like it started seeping in for me, like uh, going on car journeys with my parents when I was younger. Uh, mm. Like we had like every Saturday, for example, like I'd have to just tag along with my dad, who had to do like various bits and bats and like his errands for the day. Mm. So we jump in the car, but like it was always like what music they threw on the stereo. Like my parents were quite. Um, interested in and uh, they had like a big variety of music that they always put on so it was like the drives to all these various places like when my sister went uni and stuff like these drives were always filled with like oh like this is Frank Zappa like this is his story like this is mm. what he kind of thought and it'd be like oh cool cool but then like my mum was a little bit more subtle and she'd have like Motown compilations and like she put on like Motown and like Smooth Soul and stuff and we just kind of sit in silence. But like, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't conscious that I was becoming a like musically orientated person at the time. It was just like, we'd just sit in the car and music was like a big part of how we uh, did the time of the drive kind of thing. Are you coming from a musical family? No, no. not really, no. I think they, they just loved it. Like, they, they just love music. Like, my dad can sing, um, okay. but, like, he was never a singer. Like, he's never had to, like, perform kind of thing. My mum's, like, NHS. She started out as a nurse. Like, you know, no, like, oh. musical background there. Um, I think it's just, like, the osmosis of just how much music we absorbed. Like, they clearly just loved it. Um purely like as, mm. as you know without any sort of training or like ulterior motives they both just love music so it was something that we just always kind of like had on mm. kind of thing okay and then just seeps in through the years i guess i think this is one of the things that you probably maybe struggle with uh, in the beginning and i'm sure a lot of musicians are struggling with being able to say, okay, I'm a singer-songwriter, I'm a sound engineer, artist, producer, so who am I exactly? <laughs> you know? you've, uh, it feels like you've picked a thought out of my head that I've like, really been struggling with for the past couple of years. Okay. It's so true, isn't it? Because it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I, because the thing is, I, I struggle with that massively. It was from the time that you uh, start doing something, whether it's going to be like p playing piano or whether it's going to be like being a sound engineer, you're showing some interest, you're trying to learn. Hmm. Uh, can I call myself a sound engineer at the time that I begin doing something? Yeah. But like even in, down, down the line in 20 years, there is still a lot to learn. So mm. can I still call myself a sound engineer? Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I mean. It's yeah. it's, uh, but I think it's definitely a journey. Of course, of so course. So so how do you describe yourself? See, like if I'm just going to be like, totally honest, like it just depends who you're talking to because like everyone sees the world through a lens, and it's like if you're having a conversation with someone and they don't know the first thing about what a sound engineer is, it's like oh well, it's like you know I, I work in music. Then if you like talk to someone who's like really into the sound, it's like, yeah, so I kind of like more uh, focus on the audio engineering side of things. And like, 
it just depends on like how deep the conversation is going to go. Yeah, the language is different, to. right? Exactly. The exactly. language is different. I agree, hundred percent. But then it's like if I'm just you know alone with my own thoughts, it's just like, look, I'm just a human being. Like I just do what makes me like passionate. Mm, you know what I mean? I sure. just I just do what lights the fire, and like I just do what I think is right. And it's like that overarching thing is just like I'm just a human being. But then, like you say, you know, um, you have to put these things on yourself for like other people to understand you sure sure which you know it's, it's an empathy thing but it's like i don't you know it, i don't go around like floating titles like really hardcore like some people it's just mm-hmm. if i'm talking to someone i've never met him before you establish those common grounds it's like oh yeah like i'm i'm really into music it's like oh me too i play in a band it's like oh right then you you know you kind of yeah. yeah you're going down an avenue but sure. it's like at the end of the day, I'm just a human being that does what they care about. Sure, sure. Appreciate yeah. the humbleness. But from a professional standpoint, obviously, as um, you brought it up as well, when you want to put yourself out there and from a professional and promotional mm. standpoint, you want to mm. say, I, I do this as a job and yeah. I got in a studio. Um, how do you describe yourself? Uh, so I'm an audio engineer and mastering engineer mm-hmm. uh, and then a record producer, uh, kind of in that order. Um, and those are my main three crafts. That is my trade. Mm-hmm. And that is what I offer to artists and people. Do you play instruments? Do you... Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a life, near enough a lifelong musician now. Mm-hmm. Um, I started on guitar um, and... I can call myself a guitarist like comfortably um, and then I can dabble on other instruments just for like other people's sake or if a song needs like a bit of texture or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was it was music before audio for me. Musicians that are starting music and they start performing or even I think as a sound engineer, they might have like a second job, mm. right? Mm. Tell me about the time that you were starting out and you didn't have in a studio. Yeah. How did you, how was it and how did you manage to survive financially but it's been like peaks and troughs for me so for example just a few years ago um i think it was like 2018 when i was getting uh, also mastering house set up mm-hmm. i worked as a waiter for two years mm-hmm. um and i was like 26 when i was doing that sure um and i'd been an audio engineer for like maybe eight years at that point in time mm-hmm. and it's like look i've got to take this step to the side save up some money and just like just do a minimum wage job Mm -hmm. and it's like that as an example is kind of how it's been for me like quite a lot on and off like I'd say the last uh four five some somewhere around five years like is the longest stretch that I've had personally like as a full-time person in music Mm. and it's like it's it's tough. Like you, you've got to be so like gritty to get through it. Cause like, I think what, um, upcoming musicians and like people in that position of like branching away from like the job to like full-time music. Like, I think there's something really important that they need to know is like, you've got to know how to grit through periods of strife. Like you, you're not gonna come like out of employment be a full-time musician and have a steady ream of work constantly for the rest of your life sure like it's just not gonna happen that way so you're gonna come like you might have a big job 
then you might have nothing for weeks and then you might have like a tiny little job. COVID might hit and yeah. you might not have a job for two years. Yeah, don't get, <laughs> don't, don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> I think quite a lot of us have been through that path of where you have to, you know, just work a job, do what you have to do uh, in order to like get the finances and resources behind you uh, before going full time. But then once you go full time, like you introduced to new challenges and like you're introduced to like different problems that you have to solve and that's like kind of what sends a lot of people back out of the music industry uh, is because it can just be you know exceptionally hard and you have to be very gritty uh, like during those years what does music mean to you i mean it means everything to me it's, it's been my entire life um about 80 of my Life experience and life has been like around music. Like I did it straight out of school, uh, finished my GCSEs, and like I've just been in music since. So it it means everything to me. Like it it just depends like what aspect of music we're talking about. Like just listen, like raw listening enjoyment. Like like you say, like the escapism. Like that is kind of the pinnacle of music. Like that's why we're all interested in it that's like what brings us to it is that moment that um, music can give you like where you just kind of meander out of reality and just get like lost in the world of music but then music also means to me like it's it's a job as well like yeah, it's, sure. it, it's um you know it's a little bit more clinical in that sense as well mm. so it it can mean a lot of things to me depending on which aspect of uh, of music we're talking about. Did you study music? Yeah, I did. Um, so I did an Access to Music BTEC course. Mm -hmm. uh, that was like straight out of high school. So um, like the in the UK, like the high school system is you finish after your GCSEs, like you're usually around 15, 16 years old. And then you enroll in like college, which is usually two or three years. Mm -hmm. And then university, which is usually like three or eight years, depending on what you're doing. So mm. straight out of high school, I did the Access to Music course uh, at Blackburn College. And it was kind of like um, an all-encompassing kind of course where you kind of, one module's business, one module's music theory, and then another sound engineering. And it was kind of like a broad scope into music uh, as a whole and like as an industry and all like the various different jobs that you can go into in the industry. Um, so I did that for two years and then after that was when I decided like, yeah, I'm going to sort of specialise down the audio route. Uh, and then after I was done um, with like my audio education, I went back to music education like privately Okay. And I just like started seeing like a classical teacher like every like once every week uh, for like half an hour and just like getting my head back into theory and like because I've always played music so I was like oh well you know I'm probably at a stage now where like I can appreciate like the music side of it a little bit more so went uh, there for I think it was like three or four years and got up to about grade five theory mm -hmm. and that was when I kind of like just had to cap it out and just say like you know like there's no massive utility like in me progressing past this um but then at the end of that i did uh, my grade eight contemporary guitar as well and i think i did that in like my mid-20s so i stopped education about seven years ago uh, but mm. i was in education for on and off like maybe like 10 years or something how was your experience in university and college and did it help you to become 
the uh, person you are, the sound engineer, the mastering engineer you are now. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, but on your point is like, you know, the outcome of education is like the knowledge that you get. And it's like, if you can take in knowledge, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Like if you can take in knowledge and it's important to you and it changes your behaviour and it's like, it has a positive impact on you, like that information is doesn't matter where it comes from, whether it's university or whether it's YouTube, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it all sort of counts. Um, my experience of university and college is like... Uh, how do I explain it? That's, it's just a bit like, well, yeah, it is what it is. Like, I think the model of it has flaws, like, um, in two directions. So, like, the model of it has a flaw in that it's it can be really slow. Like, you can cover a lot of things, like, way too slowly. Like, in six months, you might cover, like, X amount of modules. Mm. Whereas, like, if you were being a realist, you might have been able to do that in a month, really, if you, sure. like, really did it. But at the same Very time, process, yeah. the other problem, which is the other side of the coin, is like, yeah, but it's going to take you 10 years to really understand that and like fully uh, like absorb that and know how to apply it and like understand the nuances of it. Yeah. So it's like, on the one hand, yeah, you can understand something like that. Sure. But on the other hand, you can't. I think there is a quote um, from Bruce Lee that I'm not afraid of someone who's got 10,000 different techniques. I'm afraid of someone who's... Yeah practice one technique 10,000 times. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah that kind 100. of thing. Yeah, I agree. You've been working in industry for 15 years now, right? Yeah. So if you wanted to go back in time mm-hmm. and do it all over again, mm-hmm. would you do it differently? Process. <laughs> I mean, definitely. If, if I could put my brain now into 17-year-old's brain mm-hmm. and it, like, it just worked like that, then 100% I'd do loads differently. Okay. But I think, you know... What are the main points that would yeah, that you would do differently? I've always had this problem of, like, I'll hit my head up against a brick wall, like, um, I will just go and go and go at something. And, like, that's kind of, like, in my nature. Um, but when I was younger, like, I'd go too hard at things. But because I, like, could sleep and recover quickly, like, it never occurred to me, like, that you can damage yourself and that you can, like burn out really badly and and that never occurred for like a long time so I treated myself like very harshly for mm. between the ages of about 17 up to about 26 like I treated myself very harshly it was like you've got a you know tour for three months now you're back you've got to, like you've got to do this you've got to do this and it's like it so has you're very, very disciplined and determined from a very early age then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. if, if I could go back and like guide it a little bit more gently and okay. um make like a little bit less unnecessary sacrifice at okay. times, like I, those are the things I would change. But at the same time, it's like, well, butterfly effect, isn't it? Like I could go and change all that and then fast forward to when I'm my age now and it's like, ah, yeah, but... It might be a different... You didn't really try hard enough, did you? So (laughs) you kind of can't wait. (laughs) In that kind of age range, you are in the mindset that you are trying things to understand what's right and what's not right, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, just the fact that you were disciplined and you were determined, I think uh, probably the most important elements to be able to make it and... 
gets yeah. you the places that you want to get. It doesn't, you know, always work to be like disciplined and like hard on yourself. Mm. Um, it agree. just depends on your path and your attributes, really, and like what opens up to you and kind of, you know, what happens. Like you were telling me um, when you were at sound school, the thing that appealed to you the most was like, oh, well, I get to network with people and like I get to like socialize. And now here you are like making a podcast. It's mm. like that's your nature. Sure, that's sure. your nature, man. Sure, sure. How was your parents? reaction to you showing interest in music credit to them like they've completely for the most part just you know like let me do it kind of thing um i think like a privilege that i had growing up was that if it was like midnight or one in the morning like i could get an acoustic guitar and i could just like start messing with it and like you know no one's gonna come running in the room and like demand of, you know it's sleep time now like you have to mm. stop that like they very much kind of let me explore my nature around music um, and that is like a total sort of like privilege to it's own as a human absolute privilege yeah. absolutely but there's been a lot of times where the uh, the sacrifice and the hardships of the industry they've like very much been freaked out by like kind of like is this a good idea like maybe you should you know, do this, maybe you should get a nine to five. Like the amount of times my mum's uh, like pushed me into getting office work in the NHS and like I, <laughs> I've done it like from time to time. Have you done it, yeah? Yeah. Um, okay. Because, you know, at the end of the day, she and parents in general, uh, for the most part, they, they, concept, they just want the... Of course. Exactly. They want the best for you, but as you said, everybody's looking at life from their own lens. Yes. Even if they're your parents, you know, their concerns. Yeah are still through their own lenses mm -hmm. that they see the world, right? So you were saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, like, it's not been a smooth ride kind of thing. So in that respect, um, yeah, it's freaked them out. But in terms of, like, you know, support and understanding, like, they've just been 10 out of 10. How do you feel about all these AI technology coming along mm. that mastering online, mixing online, all these VSDs? Yeah. Feeling, emotion is like um, neither here nor there. Like it, it kind of doesn't really bother me because I think it's also like my empathy lies with the artist who is accessing the services. It's like Lander, for example, is like the mastering and uh, the online mastering AI. Mm -hmm. Mate, it costs like six quid to get a track done. If you're looking at like a mastering engineer who's got 20 years experience and like a million pounds worth of equipment and they cost like 60 pounds for one track and you're looking at Lando and it's like six pounds and like you don't have much money and all that matters to you is just getting the result and like making the music it's like do what works for you so you see it as a positive thing then i don't see it as a positive or no. a negative okay um what i will say is um ai based technology in audio engineering mm -hmm is always it always needs correction because mm -hmm. like what what ai can never do um i mean maybe i'll take this back in another 50 years but to my eyes now what i understand about it is what ai can never do is absorb context so i ai is problem solving but it can never like it never knows why you boosted 2k it never knows what you were hearing at 2K. It just sure. knows that it's there 
and if it brings it back, uh, it's very likely to uh, inhibit like natural human frequency response. Mm. So it's like it's it, it's an equation, and it's good, and it's based on solid logic. But when you get really deep into like what you're actually sort of doing in the studio and what you're doing with music, you'll find things like that just frustrating. Like I'm, I'm a very manual person now. I've tried a lot of different sort of technologies and, and plugins over the years, uh, especially like on the AI side of things. Mm-hmm. And I just always come back to feeling frustrated because it doesn't understand the context. So I have to go back and manually do what it's supposed to be doing. So I may as well have just done the job manually to begin with. That's been my experience. So for example, Slate Trigger, um, brilliant piece of software never, never understands the context of what a transient is. So because it reads raw transients, it wants to align to a strong transient. Mm -hmm. But the strong transient isn't necessarily the area that you're trying to uh, sample replace. Plus, after delay compensation, it's always a few samples out. So it's like it's a brilliant piece of technology, but it needs correction by hand. Mm. and then AIs come along and plug-in companies come along and it's like they sing their own praises of being like, you know, perfect sample alignment. It's like, mm, better than it was before in terms of like the result that they produce, but not as good as if a person did it because they just don't understand the context of it. So practically, technically, I think they're still quite a long way behind a human being some AI stuff like uh, there's a plugin called Soothe uh, which is absolutely like a, just a phenomenal plugin mm. but because of the way that you interface with it you give the plugin less responsibility for the actual task so it's got like the blend function on it so what it does is it reads like resonant peaks and then it suppresses them but because you've got a blend you can like sort of choose the amount of how much you want that to uh, be applied so that's like a brilliant tool in and of itself. If you just load up Soothe and you don't do anything to it and you just let it be an AI, it's not going to understand what you want it to do. Sure. So As long as it's got parameters that you can yeah. change and tweak. And yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.